Well, today's sermon is going to be a little different. We're going to talk about some basic stuff. But basic does not mean unimportant. The basics are very, very important. Um, this weekend, the deacons and staff and our spouses were on retreat. And Friday night after we were finished, uh, David Mitchell, Steve Polk, and uh, Steve Lozier and myself were playing a game of cards. And it was a game I'd never played before. I think they call it L.A. Any of you played L.A.? I never heard of it. I never played it before. Anybody know what that game is? All right, I see one hand, all right? You and David Mitchell, weird pair, okay. But it, it was fun. It was fun. And so I'd never played it, and they were having to explain it to me, you know, the basics. And, and the object of the game is to get rid of all, all the cards in your hand. You know, several games. This get rid of all the cards. And um, and then there's rules and wild cards and different things. And, you know, after a couple of hands, they were still pointing out little things to me that you had to do to play that, that particular game because it takes a while to learn it, and it's, it's, it's the basics. But once you get it down and you play it's a fun game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach it to you, baby. It's a fun game, and uh, uh, it really is. And, and, but you've got to know the rules. You've got to understand the basics or you can't, you can't play. And there's a lot of things in life like that. You know, a, a good football team, a good basketball team, every year they'll go over fundamentals, get down to basics because you, you tend to forget those. And, and so what I'm going to talk about today are the basics, the fundamentals, if you will, and for some of you, this is old stuff. You've heard it many times. You know your Bible so well. You're going to understand everything I'm talking about already. But that's okay. You need to go back and review it because the basics, the fundamentals, are the, are the foundation. And if you have the foundation right, then everything you build is, is, is good. If the foundation is wrong, then what you build is weak. So we're going to review the basics for those of you who know them. But for many of you, this is going to be some new information. For a few of you, a lot of new information. And it's going to tie some stuff together and it makes sense for you. So I'm really looking forward to this. And then, so we're going to look at the basics of the Lord's Supper and baptism, of Jesus dying on the cross and being saved and having a relationship with Christ and confessing Him publicly. We're going to look at the the basics of uh, the church and why the church is important and how you join the church and all of that. And then at the end... Give those who need to an opportunity to commit their lives to Jesus and become a Christian, those who need to, to request baptism, those who need to, to give you an opportunity to, to join the church, and those who need to, an opportunity to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ and renew your walk with Him. And so I want to begin by talking about the Lord's Supper since that's what we just just did. And if you'll notice these verses, they're both on the screen and in your, in your uh, program this morning on the insert. And if you want to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 11 feel free to do so. Here, the Apostle Paul, speaking about the Lord's Supper, says, For I received from the Lord, from Jesus, that which which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, that was the night of his arrest, the following morning is when he was crucified. He said, I received from the Lord Jesus that on the night he was betrayed, that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And there's really two things we learn about the Lord's Supper from that verse. When it comes to the bread... That, that we just ate, it is a, a picture of Jesus' body. It's to remind us of his body that was broken. When he said it was broken, Jesus and the Lord's Supper, they had a common loaf. And so he broke and he, and he gave it to the disciples. And as they passed it around, they broke off pieces. And so it was a picture of the fact that Jesus' body was about to be broken. He was going to suffer through the, the beating and through the crucifixion. His body was broken and it suffered and it, and it died. And so the Lord's Supper, the bread, is a picture of the body of Jesus that suffered that was broken. And he said, every time you, you do this, every time you take that bread, it is an, it's to remember him. It's a way of reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us. It's a, there's nothing magical about it. It's simply a remembrance, a way of, of, of thinking and reflecting. 
he, he continues in that same passage in the next two verses, verses 25 and following. He says, in the same way, he took the cup also after the supper. And, and he said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then notice, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you drink the Lord's death until he comes. So he said, the cup is a picture of my blood. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It was in the giving of Jesus' life on the cross that he purchased forgiveness for us. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. And so this blood is a reminder of Jesus dying so that we can be forgiven. And he said, every time you do this, it's in remembrance of him, and, and we will proclaim his death until he comes back. In other words, all believers from the first to the second coming, from the first to the end, one thing we have in common apart from other than Jesus, in addition to Jesus, is, is the, this Lord's Supper, which points all of us toward Jesus and the cross and his death that we can live. And we're going to keep doing that until he comes back at the end of time as we know it. So the Lord's Supper celebrates, remembers, helps us remember what Jesus did on the cross, and it calls for us to renew our walk with him because it's something physical, tangible we do that, that paints this powerful picture of Jesus' suffering and life-giving death. And when you think of his sacrifice, his willingness to do that for us when we didn't deserve it, it motivates us, it moves us to reflect upon our life, upon our walk with Jesus as a believer, and to renew our faith, to renew our commitment, to confess things that we need to confess and get closer to him, get right with God as a believer, if you will. And so that's why we do the Lord's Supper. Now, there's, there's nothing magical about those elements, about the bread or the, the juice in the cup. What's really important is what happens in your heart and in your life as you worship Jesus when you celebrate the Lord's Supper. It points to the cross. And since it does, let's talk for just a moment about the cross and, and, and Jesus' death. First Peter chapter 3. Now, again, this is basics, but it's fundamental, it's foundational, extremely important. The Bible says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus died one time because of sin. He died for all sin sin of everyone. Jesus did not die for only a select few, for a group. Jesus, the Bible says, died for everyone. And he died for the sins, plural, of everyone. On that cross, he paid the penalty for my sin, for your sin, for everyone's sin. Those who've lived in the past, those alive today, and those who will live in the future. For every human being's sins, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for those sins. And the reason was because he wanted to bring us to God. See, sin separates us from God. Sin is why you don't naturally have a relationship with God. Sin is what keeps people from heaven, keeps people from God. But Jesus died on that cross because he wanted to bring us to God. He wanted us to have a relationship with God, and to do that he had to pay the penalty for our sin. And notice he said he, he, he died as the just for the unjust. Jesus was the just one, the righteous one, who never did anything wrong, never sinned, never broke the law of God. And when he died, he was dying for all of us who are unjust, all of us who have sinned, all of us who have broken the laws of God. Every one of us are guilty of that. How many laws you have to break to become a criminal? One. How many sins you have to commit to become a sinner? One. We're all sinners. We're all criminals. We've all broken the law of God. We're all unjust. And yet Jesus died for us and all of our sins. One of my favorite verses in, in the Bible it's 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, He, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin. Jesus had never done anything wrong. He did not know sin. But on the cross, Jesus became sin on our behalf. 
Now notice that. On the cross, he became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think of it like this. My left hand is used. Some of you have seen me do this before, but I want all of you to learn this and learn how to do this. It'll help you get this point. My left hand is you, and God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. The problem is your sin. And imagine this pamphlet is a, has written in it all the sins you've ever committed. For most of us, it had to be a lot thicker than this, right? This is your problem. This is what separates you from God. This is what keeps you out of heaven. So here, here's you. God loves you, wants a relationship with you, but your sin is the problem. Now over here, my right hand is Jesus. No sin. He's just. He's righteous. Never broke the law of God. Never did anything wrong. And on the cross, Jesus, who was sinless, the Bible says, became sin for us. Our sin was placed on him. He did that for everyone. There's not a person on this planet Jesus did not do that for. He died and took upon himself the sin of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every single human being. But not everyone's going to heaven. Even though Jesus did this for everyone, it's available for everyone. Not everyone enjoys the benefit of it. What's the difference? What's the the difference it's that last phrase so that we might become the righteousness of him you see when you receive jesus in your life jesus did that for you now it's your part and your part is to make a conscious decision to respond to what he did to give your life to him and receive his forgiveness and when you do that now think about this jesus took your sin on himself well do you know what jesus has over here not only sin but Jesus has righteousness. He has his perfection, his holiness, his justness, his goodness, his rightness, his purity. And when you give your life to Jesus, your sins on him, he then transfers over to you his righteousness. It's an exchange in which we benefit. That's the reason anyone who thinks they can get to heaven because they're a pretty good person? No. Because there's, there's only one person who could die for you and pay the, the penalty that was deserved for your sin. And that was Jesus because he was sinless. See, you, you could live perfect from today till the day you die. Do nothing wrong again. Never sin again. If you live perfectly starting today for the rest of your life, that would not be enough to get you to heaven because the sin of your path up to today would still be there. Being perfect from today forward does not make up for failures in the past. Jesus dying on the cross and taking that sin on himself does that. And that's the reason Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes into the Father except through him. That's the reason the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus Christ because he was the only one who could die for us. And the good news is he did die for us, took our sin on himself, and now gives us his righteousness when we place our faith in him. It's a great transaction. And that's what salvation is. Now, let's talk a little bit more about your part in it. Jesus took your sin gives you his righteousness when you commit yourself to him. So let's talk a bit more about how you give your life to Jesus Christ. Talk about salvation. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance is turning around. 
It's going one direction, and it's like in the military when the sergeant says to those who are marching in one direction in unison, to the rear march, they stop, they turn, and they go the other direction. It's though you're living life as a sinner, living life for yourself, you stop, you turn around, and you go a different direction. You go a different direction. You not only turn from something, you turn to something. You not only turn from yourself, you turn to someone. You turn from your sin and you turn to righteousness. You turn from yourself and you turn to Jesus. See, it's it's not just a matter of being sorry for what you've done. It's being sorry and turning and turning to Him. And when you turn to Jesus... That's when you receive the righteousness. That's when you receive forgiveness. But you've got to repent. A free conscious decision that you make to turn your life in the direction of Jesus Christ and commit yourself to Him. Ephesians 2 verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through, through what? Say it again, through what? Through what? Through faith. None of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Grace is God's love, undeserved, unmerited love that He simply gives us because He chooses to love us. That's what the cross is. And our response, our repentance, turning from self and from sin to Christ, we turn through faith. And faith is trust. Faith is going to the airport, getting on an airplane, trusting the pilot in the airplane to take you to a predetermined destination. Faith is walking into this room, sitting down in that chair, thinking that chair will hold me up. I faith it, I trust it to hold me. I sit down in it. I turn to Christ in faith. I trust Him to do what He said He would do. I trust Him to forgive me. I trust Him to save me. I trust Him to change me. I trust Him to take me to heaven. I trust Him to be the Lord and Master of my life. I trust Him to give me eternal life. I trust Him. I commit my life to Him. That's faith. And the Bible says when you do that, the result is eternal life. Notice that eternal life is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And a gift is what? It's something that someone gives you. You don't pay them for it because if you pay them for it, it becomes something you purchase and it's no longer a gift. A gift is what you receive. Eternal life, salvation, forgiveness is God's gift. No one's going to be in heaven because they purchased it. No one's going to be in heaven because they earned it through good living, through getting baptized at any particular age, any particular church. No one's going to get into heaven because they did the best they could, because they were a religious guy, a religious gal. Anyone who's in heaven, everyone who's in heaven will be there because they are there as a gift of God's love, and they simply held out their hands and in faith and trust received the gift as they turned their life to Jesus and said, I receive you, I receive your gift, I give myself to you. That transaction happened. And it's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. There's nothing you can do to purchase it. So stop trying. You can't. I know the world tells you you can't. Your friends may tell you that you can, but you can't. God says you can. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's always going to be a gift. Romans 10, 9, the Bible says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus as Lord. You see that 
trust, that commitment to Christ means He's not only my Savior, He is my Lord. Lordship is, you're driving down the highway in your car, and all of a sudden you stop, pull over to the side, you slide over to the passenger seat, someone else gets in, and they drive. Their hands are on the steering wheel, their feet are on the accelerator and the brake. They determine how fast you go, where you turn, where you end up. Jesus being Lord means you, in your life, slide over to the passenger seat, and He gets behind the wheel. And it's Jesus' hands on the steering wheel. It's Jesus' foot on the pedals. It's Jesus determining where you go. That's Lordship. As long as you are sitting in the driver's seat of your life, He's not Lord. Lordship, you move over to the passenger seat. And so I turn from myself. I turn from being my own Lord to Him. He saves me. He's my Lord. He gives me that gift. And here's the thing. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we live a righteous life. We do our best to obey Him and we serve Him out of gratitude for such love and for such a gift. One of the reasons we do the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the extravagance of His love. Because in dying on that cross, listen, Jesus was doing what was not convenient for himself. Doing what was not easy for himself. Doing not what he needed, but what we needed. Inconveniencing himself for our sake. And we respond to that love with love, with faithfulness, with godly living, with obedience, with never giving up. An expression of our love. I mean, when somebody loves you like that, you want to love them back. And that's what we do as believers. Now, if Jesus is Lord, that means I'm not going to be ashamed of Him. And the Bible talks about confessing our faith publicly. Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, listen to what he said. Jesus himself, look at that. He said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, and we know our world's kind of messed up today. Well, guess what? It's been messed up. And Jesus said, in whatever world, whatever generation, whatever time period you live, if in that generation, because there's going to be sin and there's going to be evil in it, if in that time frame you are ashamed of me and what I say, ashamed of Jesus and His words, His truth, the Bible. You're ashamed of Christ and what He says. He said the Son of Man, referring to Himself, He will also be ashamed ashamed of us. When He comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels, at the second coming, at the end of time, as you and I know, when Jesus comes back in all the glory of heaven, all the glory of God the Father, all the glory of eternity, when Jesus comes back in all that glory, if we have been ashamed of Him in this sinful world, in that glorious day, He will be ashamed of us. If you're ashamed of him now, he will be ashamed of you then. That's what Jesus said. That's the reason we we say over and over and over again, there's no such thing as a secret follower of Jesus Christ. We follow him out in the open. We're not ashamed for people to know we belong to him, that we follow him, that we love him. Jesus in Matthew 10 said, Therefore, who... Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. 
Now, I know all of us who are believers have had those experiences, those moments when we felt intimidated and were a little bit ashamed or were not willing to confess, right? Let's just be honest. Every one of us has been there a time or two in life. And that's the reason when we do the Lord's Supper, we need to confess that and repent of that because that's not how we want to live. What Jesus is talking about here is if you're trying to be a Christian and you're trying to do that in such a way that, hey, just you know. You don't want anybody at work to ever know. You don't want your family to ever know. You're not willing for the world to know. You just you just want to be an undercover Christ follower. Jesus said, uh-uh. No. 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 Not having it. Not having it. Not having it. That's the reason when someone accepts Christ as a new believer, we introduce them to the church. What are we doing? We're saying, hey, confess. We're... we're Helping people publicly stand for Christ. It's not just so you can know who they are and, and, and celebrate, although that's good and we want you to do that and, and all that, but it's, it's a way of them confessing, acknowledging publicly Jesus. And in the New Testament, the most important way you confess your faith as a new believer is through being baptized. Last Sunday this month, we're going to have several people baptized, and they're publicly acknowledging their commitment to Christ, confessing their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, something very important for us to do. And so let's talk about baptism for a minute. There's a verse in your notes, Acts 2, 41. The Bible says those, this is when Peter preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved at the end of his sermon. The Bible says those who had received his word were baptized. That day there were added about 3,000 souls. They heard Peter's message about Jesus. They believed. They responded by placing their faith in Christ. 3,000 of them did. It was a large audience. 3,000 of them believed. And those who believed were baptized. Because you do that as soon as you can, accepting Christ as a way of confessing your faith. Acts 16, there's an example of a woman named Lydia who was a seller of purple fabrics, which was expensive, fine fabric for their time. She was a worshiper of God, meaning that she was a... She was someone who worshipped the God of Israel, worshipped the Jewish God already. And she was listening. She was listening to Paul preach, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household, others in her family believed, they were baptized. And so here's this woman who was already going to church, so to speak, and she heard a message about Jesus, and she said, I believe that, and she made a commitment of her life to it, and she got baptized. Because that's what you do when you believe. You confess your faith through baptism. You, that, that's, that's the whole point of it. Baptism is a lot like the Lord's Supper. There's nothing magical about it. Okay, there's not. The Lord's Supper points to the death and the the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the forgiveness and salvation we have in Christ. Well, baptism does does that as as well. There's nothing magical about it. It's it's a symbol. Often in our dinner with a pastor, I'll do this. I'll say, this wedding band on my finger is a symbol of my being a husband. Now, you, you can wear a ring and be a phony. Okay? You can get baptized and be a phony. This ring does not make me a husband. Getting baptized makes no one a Christian. This ring symbolizes that I am one, right? If I'm genuinely a husband, this ring symbolizes it. Baptism symbolizes for those genuine believers that they are a follower of Christ. That's what it is. It's, It's a picture just like this wedding band. Baptism marks you as a follower of Christ if it's genuine 
in your life. And we, we baptize by immersion. You know, the joke is that means we, we dunk you, okay? Your hair gets wet. You go all the way under. And let me explain why. Imagine I'm standing in the water, in my body vertical and the water horizontal. The intersection of my body and the water is the picture of a cross on which Jesus died. When you go under the water, it's a picture of Jesus dying and being buried. When you come up, it's a picture of his resurrection. But it's also a picture to the fact that the person you were before Jesus has died in Christ, that you were going this way, but you repented and turned your life around and gave it to Jesus Christ, and the old you died with Jesus and has been buried, and you're raised, as the Bible says in Romans, to walk in newness of life. The baptism doesn't make you anybody new, but the baptism symbolizes that you are a new person because of your relationship with the crucified, resurrected Jesus. And one of the reasons we practice immersion baptism is it pictures that better than other methods. Another reason is, is, is that it's what the word in the Bible means. The Greek word in our Bibles is baptizo. In your English Bibles, it's baptize or baptism. Well, here's an interesting thing. When they translated the Bibles from Greek to English, they did not translate that word. Translations, you take a word in one language and match, match it in the other language as close as you can. Well, they didn't do that with baptism, with baptize. They did what we call transliterate. They took the letters of one alphabet, the letters of the Greek alphabet, matched it with the corresponding letter in the English alphabet and came up with a new word. The Greek word is baptizo. If you're familiar with sororities and fraternities, you get this. Beta, B, alpha, A, pi, P, tau, T, etc. And you get the word baptized. The Greek word baptizo means to immerse, to plunge. When a ship, when a ship in the, the Mediterranean Sea in the first century, sank, it was baptized. When you washed your dishes, they were baptized. It's what the word means. Another reason we practice immersion is because that's what the church did. That's what the New Testament Christians did. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church in his own writings, acknowledges that the first Christians baptized by immersion. Martin Luther, founder of the Lutheran Church, acknowledges in his own writings that immersion was the method of baptism in the early church. John Calvin, founder of the Presbyterian Church, acknowledges that immersion was the method of baptism in the early church by the first Christians in the New Testament era. Well, if that's how the first Christians did it, if that's how the New Testament does it, if that's what the word means, and if that better pictures what baptism means, we're not going to change it. That's why we baptize by Immersion is the New Testament pattern. And so having said that, let me talk for just a minute about how to join the church. And in a few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about why the church matters, why it is important. But some of you don't know, some of this is some more basics, some more fundamentals. How do you join a Baptist church? Let me point out the four ways to join this church. And there's an, another insert in your program this morning. It's a buff-colored cardstock piece of paper at the top. It says Commitment Sunday, and you'll see four check boxes over to the left. Go ahead and look at that, if you will. Go ahead and get that out, because I'm going to ask everybody here to fill that card out in just a moment. So go ahead and get it out. The first way to join our church is profession of faith and believer's baptism by immersion. That is, you are a new believer. Last Sunday, we had several people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're going to be baptized in a couple of weeks. 
in the first service this morning, I had two people come back and talk to me who had accepted Jesus Christ, and they're going to be baptized. And so you're a new believer. You've recently accepted Jesus Christ. You publicly confess your faith through believer's baptism by immersion. And when you are baptized, you become a member of this church. The second way is very similar to it. It says believer's baptism by immersion. Pretty much the same as the first except the difference. You've been saved for a long time. Maybe you were saved as a kid, as a, a teenager, as an adult. You got saved five years ago, ten years ago, whenever it was. But you've not been Baptized. You've been living for Jesus. You've publicly confessed Him before people, but you haven't been baptized. That's the only difference. Or, or uh, maybe you were baptized as a baby. And then later when you were a teenager or an adult, you came to a place of personally placing your faith in Jesus and you were saved. But you've not had New Testament believer's baptism since you accepted Christ. You're not a new believer, but you've not had believer's baptism. You've not had... Immersion, New Testament baptism. And so you would join our church through baptism by immersion. Transfer of letter, you're a member of one Baptist church and you're simply moving your membership, transferring your membership to this Baptist church. And uh, we get the information about the church where your membership is. Communicate with them and it's an internal thing of just exchanging membership records, okay? Then the last one is statement of faith. I don't know if that's going to appear up there, but it's on your card. Statement of faith and believers' previous baptism. Statement of faith is uh, you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you were baptized at some point in the past as a believer by immersion. But right now you're not a member of another Baptist church. You could be a member of a Presbyterian church, a Nazarene church, Pentecostal church, whatever it ha- Lutheran church, whatever it happens to be. You've been saved because you gave your life to Jesus. You've been baptized since getting saved as a believer by immersion but you're a member of a different denomination. And so we take you on your personal statement that you are a follower of Christ. You had believers' baptism by immersion, and we accept you into membership that particular way. And we still let that church know that you're joining our church. Um, and uh, that, that happens a lot around here, um, people coming from different, different backgrounds. So that's a statement of faith, very similar to, to the letter in moving your membership. Now, as I wrap this up, some of you are wondering, well, is it really important that you join a church, that you that you commit yourself to a church? Is that really important? And I want to say it is. Let me tell you, let me explain to you why the church matters and why being an active part of a church matters. One is your spiritual health, your spiritual growth, your spiritual well-being. Now that picture is um, from from uh, a scene in, in, in Tijuana, Mexico. I, I've been to... Tijuana, Juarez, other places in Mexico over the years. And, and, and there's a common thing that happens. If you go to most of the places in Mexico, you're going to have kids run up to your car or up to you all the time wanting money. Now, for some of them, it's just a racket, and that's how their family makes money. But there's a lot of kids in some of these, these countries that actually live on the streets. There are kids who live on the streets, and they have no family. And, and it's tough. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Can someone physically, literally grow up on the street without a family? Is that possible? Yeah, right? Physically, someone can literally grow up, live on the street and grow up, right? Well, what's it going to be like for them? Is it going to be harder? How are they going to turn out? Odds are with a lot of issues. 
Is it possible for you to be a Christian and not be part of a local church? Yeah, but guess what? It's like being a spiritual street kid. It's going to be a lot harder. And you're not going to learn as much. You're not going to mature as much. You're not going to grow as much. In fact, you're probably going to end up with some messed up habits. One of the reasons God gives us the church and He puts us with other believers is we help each other. This is, this is your family, if you will. Now, the family's not perfect. And when you're part of the church, you're going to like some in that family more than others. You just are. There's going to be somebody in that family that gets on your nerves. There's going to be somebody in that family that hurts your feelings. I mean, and you think about your own family. Does anybody in your family ever hurt your feelings? Do you ever hurt somebody else's feelings in your family? Are you ever a jerk to your family? Are members of your family ever a jerk toward you? Yeah, but guess what? It's your family. And this family's not going to be perfect, but I tell you what, it's a whole lot better living life with people than living life alone. And it's a whole lot healthier spiritually to be part of a family, even though we're not perfect, but to be part of a family that's going to care about you and help you is a whole lot better to do that than to try to do this Jesus thing all by yourself. Your spiritual health, your spiritual well-being is impacted by it. And we just need to be obedient. Be obedient. So what's the next step for you? So there's some of you right now who need to make the decision to repent, turn from your sin, and turn your life over to Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus Christ. There's some of you who've already done that, but you've never had believer's baptism by immersion, and you need to make a decision to be baptized. There are some of you who need to join this church because this is your family, and you need to be committed. And commitment is a big word to Jesus. Commitment may not be popular in our culture, but commitment is a big word to Jesus. And you're going to help this church more when you're committed to it than when you're not. And if eventually everybody just says, well, I want it, but I don't want to be committed, the churches are going to suffer. There is something to be said for commitment. It's a good word. It's a godly word. It's an honorable word to say, I am committed. It's easy to not be committed. You don't have to do anything. Anybody can do that. But being committed, that's something totally, totally different. So if you will, if you'll take your commitment card, that commitment Sunday card, that buff colored card, I'm going to ask everyone in the room to fill that out. If you're an active member of this church, fill it out because we want to make sure we have accurate contact information on you. So if every person here would fill that out, we appreciate it very much. But listen, if you're here and you're saying, I have, I, I, I'm accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, or I've recently done that and I need to be baptized, I want you to check that top box. Now this week, one of our pastors is going to contact everybody who fills out the card that says, I want to join the church or make a spiritual decision up here. And we're going to talk to you about your decision. And If you were saved a long time ago or maybe baptized as an infant, but you've not had believer's baptism and you need to have a believer's baptism, you would check the second box. If you're a member of another Baptist church and you want to join this Baptist church, transfer of letter. Check that box. And if you're a member of a non-Baptist church, but you've had believer's baptism, by immersion, since you became a believer, you would check statement of faith. And then just go ahead and fill out the rest. And I'm going to give you just a moment to fill this out, and then the ushers are going to collect them.
and just take a moment. And what's God asking you to be your next step? What's the next commitment that he's asking you to make? And we're about done. They put on the slide on the screen where they're pulling the cards out the picture of the fireplace. You put wood, you put coal, you put wood in a fire and it burns. But you reach in with the tongs and you pull out one piece of wood and set it over in the corner of the hearth. What's going to happen to that wood in time? It's going to stop burning. Why am I asking you to be part of a church? All of us are individual pieces of wood, and when you put them in there with the, with the flames, we burn. But when you take it out by yourself and you put it over here on the corner of the hearth, your flame starts to burn out. You grow cold in time spiritually. And we know from research that the overwhelming majority of people who are not committed and not engaged and not active, who only attend worship, the majority of people who only attend worship eventually stop attending altogether. Not all, but about 70 to 80% will eventually stop going because you burn out. You're by yourself. God uses his people to encourage, to challenge, to, to, to love, to help. All right, if you'll pass the cards to the aisles, the ushers will collect those right now. All the cards pass to the aisles, and the ushers will collect them. And in just a moment, we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask those who want to just sing a, a verse or two real quick. And I'm going to ask those who want to to come and kneel here. And, uh, and by the way, if you are wanting to be baptized... And, want, and, and you're a new believer, I want you to see me in the corner back there after the service. I want to give you this pamphlet about baptism and as a new believer give you this this, this, and a couple more pamphlets about uh, walking with Christ. But particularly if you, you're going to be baptized, I want to give you this pamphlet about baptism. So see me after the service back there and, um, and uh, we'll give those to you. So if you would stand, they'll, they'll continue collecting them. You can pass them down even while we're standing. Let's sing a verse or so. Pastor, here at the front. And uh, let's just sing a verse or so. If you need to come and pray for anything, you come right now. Come on.